500 million people do not have what they need on our planet. That's one quarter of the population that are people with periods do not have what they need and it affects their days. This is a journey of discovering about that and my early history that taught me to listen and to trust people's wisdom. And the result is so far over 3 million women and girls having what they need in communities in 145 countries talking about and shattering the stigma about menstrual inequity. And that has been quite a journey. This is the Visible Voices podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. In today's episode, I speak with Celeste Mergens. Celeste is the founder of Days for Girls International. She's the author of The Power of Days, a story of resilience, dignity, and the fight for women's equity. She and I met through Hilary Klotz Steinman. Hilary is a friend from childhood, and she actually was featured in episode 55, where we talked about one of her documentary films. She said to me, Risa, I think you should meet Celeste, and I think you would love the work she's doing. My daughter and I have volunteered for Days for Girls International. Days for Girls International is a worldwide organization that has reached an amazing number of women and girls. They provide education, health, and a period kit. This is a washable, reusable, long-lasting pad for girls to use during the time of their period. You're going to hear more about the kit, about the organization, and about breaking of this taboo of creating period equity. Let's get to the conversation where I've asked Celeste about the numbers. Do I really have these numbers right? Days for Girls, as an organization, there are 690 chapters, 119 enterprises in 31 countries, 256,000 refugees have been reached, a total of 145 countries, and more than 2.8 million individuals have been reached by Days for Girls kits. And drumroll, please, all those numbers have gone up a bit. And we're now over 3 million just in this short period of time from when you were able to pull up those numbers. It's growing constantly. And that is amazing even to me. Yeah. So you brought up poverty and you have firsthand experience with poverty. And to the extent that it's relevant to your impetus for Days for Girls, what would you want to share with listeners? I think that one of the benefits that, if you're going to call it that, that I had out of the experience of growing in poverty was understanding what it feels like to be invisible, was understanding what it feels like to be underestimated, and honestly, to lose your days. Because you're right, you have trouble concentrating in school. You don't have access to even things like pencils as easily. And these things affect how you feel in the classroom. And So as I learned that the girls were missing days because they didn't have what they needed, being exploited because they didn't have what they needed, it not only set a fire inside of me that was not going to be denied, but also I understood that we had obstacles to overcome that were above and beyond care products that would help them stay in class, education that would help them understand and shatter the stigma they felt, but also to understand that we needed to help them recognize how to be seen, how to be heard, that their voice matters, and to show them the evidence of how much they mattered, that all of that needed to be part of our conversation. And it's really truly part of the arsenal of why it's been so effective, because we don't feel like someone is other than, less wise, or any other defining characteristic because of their circumstances. Rather, 
they are invited to be part of the solution. And that's the truth. We all matter, no matter where we're from or what our circumstances are. It now makes perfect sense to listeners why you're on the Visible Voices podcast, giving voice visible, invisible. And, you know, interestingly, people will say, Risa, why do you call it the visible voices? You can't see a voice. I'm like, I know you can't see a voice. But (laughs) someone else pointed out that the only people that typically say that perhaps have never had the experience of being made invisible. And everybody in general that really gets it and they're like, that makes sense to me. They've had the experience of being made invisible. You have danced around on my behalf without knowing this, this concept of human-centered design, health design thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm really hot on this topic, and I think it is the way to design devices, hospitals, workflow, medical programs, et cetera. And you really, really exemplify what you've built organizationally, but specifically the actual period product that I'd love you to describe to the audience in a human-centered way, you keep the end user at the center of the design process and you bring them to the table and they have helped you make better iterations from time number one to, I think what I read up to 31 iterations now you are to the design it is today. Absolutely. And we call it that. We call it user-led design. And in truth, the very beginning design was awful. And I could say that because I designed it. They were white because pads are white and they look like a pad because it was a pad. But I knew to ask, how is it working? How does it work for you? And from the beginning, they were very open about it. And it became very obvious that it needed to hide stains, that it needed to be able to dry quickly and wash with very little water. And that was a process of asking a lot of people, here's our challenge. What do you think we should do about it? Much akin to, have you seen Apollo 13 and that scene when they dump the products that they have, all the items in the capsule and say, we have minutes to make this into a filter from a square filter or to a round hole or the other way around. We did that over and over. Here's the challenge. How can we make it as user-friendly and easy to create as possible? And the result is two patents for that design. We did the same with our curriculum, more than 70 iterations for that. And not only talking to medical professionals and experts like yourself, but also them, what you need to know and teaching it to them and watching them teach it, listening to the translation of what did you skip and what did they linger on? What did they add? What questions do they have? And what was interesting to me was how much the common thread of what was needed was happening. For instance, one of these was when they said, we need to know how we have a boy baby because we, our husbands leave us or we get in trouble if it's all girl babies and it's our fault. And getting to change that narrative to actually, let me tell you how that happens. That was something needed all over the world. And we got to answer that, but also simplify it to the facts that are most easily understood and communicated. And that whole process is so fascinating and effective. If you and I were to participate in a workshop for Days for Girls, what would we learn? What materials would we use to actually sew the period product? In the workshops that we call Ambassador of Health Presentations, you're actually learning about what a period is, how babies happen, 
how to do self-defense, which is interesting, how to track your period, and uh, conversations about health and hygiene, and even preventing STIs, sexually transmitted infection. And all of this happens in an hour and a half, including learning to use and care for your Days for Girls kits. For sewing Days for Girls kits, that actually happens through volunteers and also through an enterprise program that we have where people learn to make them for their own communities and be the leaders in their communities to lead the dialogue around menstrual equity and shattering period poverty. That is so fascinating and and a real challenge, but it's a rich conversation that is inviting everyone to participate in it. And there is laughter. There's usually hugging of the kids, dancing with the kids, throwing of the kids, tossing, I should call it, and celebration. I can tell you moments that took my breath away when a girl explained why it mattered so much or when women hearing that this was a natural thing and they were not cursed, literally almost together as it's translated into several languages, would their shoulders would go up and they just, <sighs> it is awe-inspiring to watch how much this matters. Who would have guessed something so simple and apparently small would have such incredible impact. This concept of train the trainer is amazing. And it's the way to create something sustainable. And clearly you have created something sustainable. What materials are in the kit? Mm. There's cotton, there's cotton flannel. And then there's something called polyurethane laminate. It is a moisture barrier that keeps it from leaking. And there's wings and snaps hold those into place on their underclothing. It's a design that has pockets to hold the absorbance layers and a shield that holds the absorbent layers. So it's two pieces that come together to be able to allow people to adjust it to their flow and to adjust it to their comfort. Uh, So a really innovative design that's proving to work all over the world. How often would a girl use this? How often is it washed? How long does it take to dry? These are lasting, we say, like I said, two to three years, the girls actually change them as frequently as their personal flow needs, right? They generally have one for day and one for night. So one can be drying while the other one's um, being used. And typically they're taking, depending again on the climate that they're in, but about a half hour. In fact, one of the tools we've used to research if they're really using their kit is when you ask, how long does it take them to dry? Now, if you're in a more humid climate, of course, it would take longer. But it's interesting when they go half hour, 30 minutes, about 30 minutes, and then one says, ah, uh, uh, 10 minutes, then you know <laughs> no, whether that's been used. But the, it does depend on climate. What's beautiful about them is they are flat, just a square. They don't look like a pad when they're laid out. And that helps with reducing the amount of water to wash them and the drying time. Which is important for them to be healthy. It's really brilliant. What sort of uptake is there for these kits and the product in the United States? It's interesting. They are needed here. Everywhere that someone has to choose between food and pads, food wins, gas in the vehicle to go to the next interview wins. And also there are a lot of women that find them more comfortable, not only less expensive, but more comfortable and they don't have allergic responses to them, right? What's interesting is here in the United States, so far, disposable single-use products are preferred. However, more and more, 
are choosing menstrual cups, which can last up to 10 years and are really good if you have an exceptionally heavy flow and washables are increasing. And it really is like any aisle that you approach at anywhere that there's menstrual care products. There are a lot of choices because we're all different. Having the understanding that washable is a great option is an important part of the dialogue right now. As far as those who need products because they don't have them, that is a surprising amount of girls in school, homeless women, girls who are foster girls, just in general, people have times where it's more difficult to access single-use products. So it's actually a lot. And Days for Girls does help with that in communities all over the United States and all over the world. I'm Dr. Risa E. Lewis, dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adair Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book being published in April of 2024 by HarperCollins. We believe every future goal, complicated task, and healthy habit can be broken down into simple, measurable, and tiny skills that you can practice and then excel by removing obstacles, overcoming assumptions, and maximizing your potential at work and in life. You can pre-order it now. Go to bookshop.org, amazon.com, or wherever you buy your books. Once you learn about a product such as this in Days for Girls, it makes so much sense. You know, what you just shared speaks about the environmental sensitivity and the sustainability of the product. It Mm -hmm. just makes so much sense. And I also like that the book, your story, Days for Girls, makes us question all the things we're, we're used to, like pads and tampons are white. Why are they white? You know, why are they white? And I think people that aren't paying attention in the grocery aisles or in the drugstore aisles, maybe they haven't really paid attention to the cost of these products as compared to products that serve biological men. Right? It's really intriguing to watch the dialogue expand and make sure everyone has what they need and to recognize Sustainability does matter. It's not just about the wallet. And the truth is, we need a lot of that kind of conversation, not just in menstrual care, all across our planet. We need to look at things in new ways. And and that's one of the things I love about this book. It's an invitation to recognize there are a lot of hard things to change in this world. This menstrual equity isn't one of them. We can solve this now. And it's proof that we can solve a whole lot more that appear impossible. We can, through the power of coming together, through the power of we, we can. What role do men play? And I know men play a very important role in this, both educationally in terms of the building of your business. And, you know, you speak in the book a lot about your husband and about your children. For people, listeners are like, well, this isn't for me. This is one of Reese's topics, one of our episodes that has nothing to do with me. It does. We want everybody. We want everybody at the table. So where do men play a role? Oh, it's huge. And you cannot shatter stigma with half of the population deciding. It really needs to be all of us. And as we were talking about earlier, it isn't half the population affected by this. None of us got here without periods. Even test tube babies came as part of a human cycle, right? And so truthfully, it is about all of us. And until all of us can normalize the dialogue about this, it won't completely 
go into something that is normalized. We get to do that together. And that's a challenge that we all share. And it is our whole family that is strengthened. If one of us has a liability, we all have a liability. And that's not only in the traditional family unit, that's in mankind as a whole, humanity and our world as a whole. It matters that we all step up to the table on this one. You talk a lot about your aha moment. You woke up in the middle of the night, you had this aha moment. What are the girls doing for periods? What I'm curious about is other aha moments that you have had, because I have aha moments. My aha moments definitely are wake up in the middle of the night with clarity about how I should approach something, do something. They happen sometimes meditation or on the yoga mat, taking a walk. And feel free to share when you have your aha moments and other aha moments besides the founding of Days for Girls? There really have been a lot that are as I'm waking up. We share that in common where you're like, oh, this clarity that comes to mind, right? And even in aspects of writing the book, there were aha moments. And I had a lot of trouble putting myself into the book, for instance. I was like, "Mm, no, don't want that. And it became clear that that was an important part of the story. But for me, over and over, uh, really giving yourself the time to ask questions is a big deal. And I think it's easy to assume we should know everything if we're being good or strong or smart. But in truth, it's smart to ask, to go, hmm, I'm really curious about that. I, I don't know what the answer is. It is in asking that we're open and we start receiving acknowledgement, inspiration, awareness of things that were around us that we would otherwise not recognize. Yeah. Your voice. My question I ask guests, when did you realize you had a voice? When did you start using your voice? Wow. Well, I'd say my whole life. (laughs) And it might have started with an aha moment you're referring to in the book when I was about five, just recognizing People don't know who you are and and you can't accept their definition of who you are or how you should be seen. You have to know for yourself what it is, who you are and who you want to be and how you're growing. And so I am one from early on that just felt like speak up, but that doesn't mean it was easy to be heard or seen. As a woman, I often ended up in circles that were traditionally men. I roofed houses. I didn't babysit. I chose engineering, and it was often like, what are you doing here? And so it's interesting that I actually got really good at advocating for others, but I had to learn to be able to advocate for myself. I'm still learning that because I think especially as women, if I may, it's easier to feel like your role is to advocate for others. And I've learned over time, it's just as important to advocate for ourselves so that we can be the strength, like on the airplane when they say, put on your own oxygen first. Uh, We all need oxygen. We all need our voice to be heard. Can you identify that moment when you decided that you were going to use your voice for you and not for others? Yes. I was in Uganda. We were reaching a really remote area in Jinja. And as we went into it, I had been asked just before I went, hey, let me rectify all the receipts and let me have the money so I can count and go through it all. And it was my money that I brought, but it was like, sure, go ahead. And I didn't want to second guess someone else's feeling about their role. So I passed everything I had. 
now I'm in the field, there is no water except to buy it. It is two o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't drank, I haven't eaten, and I stop at ATM. There are no ATMs. So imagine I got back and it was like, well, that's not my problem. And it wasn't. I recognized the real problem was I should have said no. I should have said, I'm going to need at least some of that for the field. But I was deferring to what someone else needed. And it literally became like a life affecting moment that I didn't consider myself. And this wasn't very long ago, maybe 13 years ago. And then recognizing, why is that? Why is it that other people's priority is my first, second, and third thought when if I don't take care of myself, I can't keep going? And that was really a moment that started my awareness. Try to move yourself up on that list, Celeste. <laughs> what about being a founder and you know the success of this organization? has made you realize that you need to break your childhood trauma, your patterns that weren't serving you? I think being a founder for me is actually very humbling because it leaves you with a lot of responsibility representing the voices of many. How do you do that in a way that is authentic to them, that doesn't make it the poor puppy conversation, but rather represents their strength without taking away their voice and their authority in this? So truly humbling to represent so many stakeholders. And for me, it also has been a challenge to recognize that you have to be, when I was until recently serving as global CEO, aware of all the stakeholders and the responsibilities and the budgets. And honestly, one of the most challenging pieces was as we brought on more and more very gifted individuals who were holding components of the organization And my favorite pieces were now going to others. Slowly it became, where are you standing, Celeste? Where are you leaning into your greatest strengths? And that was one of the trickiest parts because now, how do you give people their full autonomy and gifts and not take back or micromanage while also making sure the authentic voice and leadership and strength that you have is represented? And that is a place that was incredibly challenging for me because I tend to want to elevate the other, to recognize with gratitude. And it was very difficult to, and I cannot say that I mastered it, to say, actually, that's my strength. Let me hold that one. Because it is my innate desire to help others show up and shine. That's been a real challenge for me and one that recognizing our voice does matter in the conversation, even when we're trying to elevate diversity and others' strengths, and others' place to remember that our voice also matters in the mix is a unique challenge, I think, for founders. What keeps you up at night? (laughs) Well, (laughs) a lot of things. I like imagining what's possible. So for me, it's not the awful things usually because I shift it to curiosity. For me, if I hear something really challenging, I shift it to, okay, how do we fix that? Who would need to come together? What sequence of events might counter-engineer, reverse-engineer what set this up? And so I look back and forward and try to seam together the solution from these two places. That can keep me up quite a lot. The relationship with doTERRA. Mm. So doTERRA Essential Oils is a company that cares about their communities that they're working in. 
And that's how they learned about us. Their communities were asking for menstrual equity. Their communities were asking for menstrual resources. And doTERRA members had heard about Days for Girls. So imagine this was way back in, I want to say 2014, when they came on board to support Days for Girls. And there were no corporations that I know of saying, let's solve this. They cared more about the needs of those they served with than they did how they looked being highly visible in dealing with offering menstrual solutions. I was so impressed by that. Now, thankfully today, we have others as well, Starbucks, uh, Goldman Sachs, a, a lot of incredible companies coming together and asking how they can help, how they can lend their voice, resources, and strength. And doTERRA was one of the first in the world to see that need and show up for that need. And I will never forget that. What has been the most surprising aspect of your book release journey, podcast episodes, and the attention given to your book, as well as to the organization Days for Girls? I think one was how much it takes to share the word about a book that was important to me because of Imagine if it goes really big, we'll shatter a whole lot of stigma. Like we could reach another million girls and women and people with periods, and that matters to me. The other things that's been surprising to me is who's shown up and who hasn't. Like who's willing to talk about, to your point, sometimes the biggest champion is a man that doesn't have a period in a community that says, I'm all in to help change this. And really what it's taken to move the needle and where people get caught. Some people get caught up in terminology over the actions to change the issues. And so some of those things are curious to me and have been surprising to me. And I just keep recognizing this is about health and it connects us all. And this is something we can do. And that's amazing. So count me in. Your legacy. Well. I hope it's a legacy of the power of we, because that's what it is. I didn't sew a million pets. I haven't told all the news agencies that have heard. I haven't written all the studies. I have shown up again and again, but technically I'm the really good listener who pays attention, shows up and keeps working. And if it weren't for people like you that say, actually, let's have this conversation. If it weren't for people that said, you know what, I'm willing to talk to complete strangers about this. That's miraculous. If it weren't for that, this wouldn't have happened. So I feel truly fortunate to have been at a point of catalyst to be able to invite others to step arm in arm. And it is phenomenal to me and joyous and miraculous to be part of that. I get to be part of that in the world. We all get to be part of that in the world. That is something that I celebrate every day. What is the best way for listeners to find you, to help, to take action? You can find more about Days for Girls at the daysforgirls.org website. You can find me through that or celestemergens.com. Please normalize periods. Just talk about it. Recognize in the moment when you set toilet tissue on a conveyor and period products, is there any difference? And if there is, Where'd that come from? And could you make a new decision? And please support Days for Girls. Get the book because then you'll be able to pass it on too. The Risa Wrap-Up. Special thanks to Celeste. Three things I learned listeners from this conversation. Number one, showing up. You have to show up. And as Celeste shared, 
you really realize who shows up and who doesn't. And the way people show up can be different. There's not one way to do it. But the fact is, some people show up, some people don't. And I want to encourage you listeners to be one of those people that shows up. Next, period equity. This is not just for women. This is not just for a small percentage or a half a percentage of the population. This is for everybody. And it's important that we have all people at the table working for the equity of girls and women for period equity and for creating a healthier society. Finally, health design. You know, health design thinking keeps the end user at the center of the designing process and brings that person to the table. And as I talked about in the conversation, Celeste does this. Celeste has the girls be part of the design process. And it was really interesting to note that the first design of this period pad, this product, iterated, it got remade, redone, repurposed, fixed, bettered, 31 designs better to what it is today. That's all I have for you this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. We are a production of the People's Media Network. Our team includes Dr. Giuliano DeCorto and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, to be continued.